thinking with uh, Rabbi West a lot about about this section and about the question from right now moving from you know from philosophy and God and monotheism and the Bible and Elisha and prophecy and, and magic and controlling and Lamasatron to Secular and religious, and everyone, everything in between, and the learning Kabbalah, the learning Christianity, the learning Bible, the learning philosophy, the learning mathematics, and the learning chemistry. Everything is learned there. And I remember having the following image Is it possible to have the diversity and the openness of that, but with the devotion and the passion of the Yeshiva? Is that possible? That was my first image. Is that possible? Could it be possible? And that was the first image. It wasn't about building passionate pluralistic leaders that will change Israel. It wasn't about Israel. It was about I want the yeshiva I've never lived in. Where you learn Plato and Aristotle and Shakespeare and Homer, where you learn with girls and you learn with secular and just where it's that but 
Here's my experience in Jerusalem. Sometimes the more pluralistic an institution is, the less passionate it becomes. And the zero sum game, and the more extreme and closed-minded an institution is, the more passionate it is. Is it possible to create passionate pluralism, or at least two terms, or is it contradiction of terms? That was our vision about six, seven, whatever years ago. It was always my dream, I guess. And because when it comes to a larger, larger picture of Israel, I realize in Israel that's the same problem on a larger scale. In Israel, the same problem on a larger scale is that the majority of people are in the middle, but the majority of passion is in the hands of the extremists. That's why my opinion, you open the DVD newspaper, you always hear extremists if you have a louder voice. Because they own passion. And our vision for Israel is can we give have people with moderate opinions and extreme passion at the same time. Is that possible? Well, a second brainstorm, second image, was that the ASU has an interesting age group, the age group that you don't have here in North America. The age group is called after the army. I don't know why you guys don't have an age group like that in America. After the army. It's interesting, it is true because after the army creates a unique state of mind. And here's the state of mind. This is something, on a, I think, it's an extension of what David Brooks called the Odyssey Age. David Brooks called the Odyssey Age, that amazing age that you do have carried out all through the Western world. Following the nature of an asymmetry between the power you own and the responsibility that you have. But it used to be, when you're a child, you have no power, no responsibility. When you're adult, you have a lot of power. You know, you have power of mind, body, you can do things, you can make a living. But all of that power is generally your responsibility. You're raising your family. And, your... and it used to be that once you finish not having power, when you have power, you have responsibility. There's no threat that it was just, you were a child and you were an adult. Then we have this new age. This new age exists like for 80 years, that's all. It's an amazing age where you have maturity and power of an adult and yet have respons no responsibility. That asymmetry between power and responsibility is addictive. Why not? I make a lot of money, I can do whatever I want, but all this power, I can invest all this where? In myself. Why not hang on to that age? Why not extend it? And actually, that's a good question because younger people give you the same answer. Why not? Why not extend it and extend it? In Italy, by the way, in Italy, you have people that are 40 year old, they're still living at their mother's house. Why not? She makes better food. Why not? Why not? That's the Odyssey age. That Odyssey age is a challenge in Western civilization. The same time, it's a great opportunity in Western civilization. It's that age where ideas are created. It's that age where new things happen. It's that age. Well, but in North America, especially North American Jews, kids that age may not have a family, but they have a lot of anxiety. They're trying to pursue their career, the best type of career they can. It always shocks me how the Israelis always a culture shock how young Americans are. When they're 21, they're thinking about their career. Now, it might seem natural to you, but it's so not natural. 
You're 21, like you do something and they ask you, can I write this in my resume? A 21 year old doesn't know what his resume means. Everything you do is in your resume, you're trying to apply to college, grad school, undergrad, uh, 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 interviews, you're trying to get ahead. I don't think there's a word in Hebrew for getting ahead. It's very interesting, in Hebrew we have this new age where, where you're in the Odyssey age, you're at that age, but you're not ambitious. And that lasts for a year or two, it's after the army, this is what happens. You go into the army, the army, the army, it's such an intensive experience. No matter where you are, no matter where you were in the army, it's an intensive experience, you come to the army, and whatever you want to do, you start a job interviews. But your parents don't think that way. Your parents are saying to you, so? Career, you know, what are you going to learn, what are you going to do, what are you going to this, what are you going to that? Some of the only ones, all these questions are all, all you know, squeeze into one word. No. <laughs> no. So this time it's really yeah, they don't have the they'll last it, they have no they are not ambitious, they don't want you know, I don't know. Yeah. But their parents, you know, they have all these grown-ups in their life. They're there. So what are you guys dealing with this? They just leave this over here. And they go. What Israelis call Hosen. Hosen is India in Hebrew. But when Israeli goes to Argentina, that's called Hosen. <laughs> it's an experiment where India is a very large place. Okay, can you see Israeli? I went to India over here. I was in Peru. I was in Argentina. <laughs> I stopped in New York to make some money. I went out. Yeah. So Israelis, they go out. They go away. By the way, Israel is an island. It's effectively an island. That's why they go away all the time. It's an island. Some islands have been surrounded by water. It's surrounded by people don't like us. So you can't leave. So it's a very small, but there's nowhere to go besides to go very far away. There's a culture of going away after the army. Everyone goes somewhere after the army. And people say, well, it's really victory. It's that Buddhism. No, that's not the reason. Israelis have the army, not really. These want to escape the no question. They want to escape the question. They want to go to places where they have their, their economic power is high, they have to go to some third world country. They just want to hang out. They want to be back to age. They're not ambitious. That's the difference between 21 year old Israeli and 21 year old American Jew. That's going to change for Israel. Two years from now, they're going to go out and look at our nation. You know, there's more Israeli companies in NASDAQ than all Europe, than every, in any other country in Europe. Israelis are extremely ambitious, maybe too ambitious. But it won't happen later, two years from now. Our brains know that there's here, there's the age. It's a year, two years, where on one hand, they're adults without the ambition of adults, which is an amazing opportunity. Because I'm asking what they want to be. Maybe they'll ask who they want to be. Maybe they'll ask what kind of a Jew they want to be, what kind of a scientist they want to be, what kind of a Israeli they want to be, what kind of a human being they want to be. That was our breakthrough on the outside six years ago, or seven, I think seven years ago. And we said, okay, let's tap into this thing. And a third breakthrough was following. So my great yeshiva, I've never learned it. I loved to do this with this age group, which is mature and not ambitious yet. 
And the third thing about this age group is that it's part that this age group can change Israel for the following reason. They can change Israel, one, because they're in an age group where they're open to change. Once you have a career, you get married, you're less open to change. They're after the army, these don't people who they work with the in the army, they're open to change. They're up for transformation. But, but they're in that age, which in a few years from now, they themselves will be located in positions where they can promote change. So that strategic age, where they are open to change, and they will promote change, that's a leverage investment. We can touch them. Through them, we can touch Israel. There will be future editors and newspapers, and future politicians, and future philanthropists, and future businessmen. They, and last thing we have studied about this yeshiva I've never learned in this transformational age, it's something about Western people. Well, people as a whole change not through persuasion, but through imitation. Meaning, it's not like you hear this great lecture and you say, okay, I'll read it. That's usually not how people change. They'll change because they want to belong to the type of people that believe that they want to believe. People change because they want you know the famous line of uh, Sally in the movie Harry and Sally. I don't know she's happy. Well that's why people do things. You see a group, you want to be part of it, you want to have what they're having. They seem happy, you seem good, you want to have what they're having. Well they're doing Musa, well Musa's for me. <laughs> I'm serious. If one, I mean, it's not that people will come to Tim now because of Musa. Because people, they want to be part of this cool group, and I don't know they're now because they're having Musa, I want Musa. That's, it's not, you'll never make Musa attractive. You'll make the group attractive, and then Musa becomes cool. Uh, 
here and it's not a little Homer neat basic works of revelation. It's one piece, the second piece is Talmud, the Bible, a lot of Judaism, and second piece, third is Israel, Israelism, sitting on the same Palestinian, the Arab, the, the conflict around, and fourth piece is your body, yoga, martial arts, running, taking care of your body. As a result, in four months, then people, you could strengthen your body, you could deepen your understanding of Israel, you could expand your horizons to Western civilization, you could connect to your Judaism, you take everything you have as a human being, Zionist, Israeli, Jew, the upgrade, let please come, and, and no one came. We managed to convince six entire people to come. Six people, one of them was hitchhiking, I took him and I tried to convince him, Miles, he was the living, and he said, okay, I'll come. That was, that was how, that was our, you know, me driving around trying to pick up your time. That's, that was how sophisticated our recruiting, I mean, you should do that here also. <laughs> See, that's how sophisticated our recruiting technique was. And then a year later, we had a very, very serious jump. It was really, really impressive. We moved to seven people. That was really, really nice. A year after that, uh, four months after that, we were 16 people. Then we had a tremendous jump again, 17 people. <laughs> I'll fast forward, but this past year we had 350 students. About four years ago, we hit the tribute point. For some reason, we are like you know, about 50, we reached a tipping point, meaning there was a moment we were going gradually, and there was a moment of bang, and we're knocking on our doors, there was that point, and that's the enigma. What happened? I made that happen. And we had to start, you know, building campuses around Israel to cater to this new wave of Israelis that want to do this. And we started building ramps for the after they finished being students while they're graduating to continue the AIM Prime experience while they're students in different universities in Israel. And um, so we're trying to figure out what happened at that point in time. And I want to say that three points that I think about about trying to make an organization go viral and scale up. One, it's very hard to create things. Actually, I think it's impossible to create things. To create something that doesn't exist is impossible. Why? Because this is an observation of possibility. When you say it doesn't exist, all forces that exist already exist. Now you think it doesn't exist, something new, so this is what always happens. Anyone that's going, you're gonna, anyone that's going to lose what you do is going to attack you. And anyone that's going to gain what you do, for some reason, is going to stay quiet. No one is going they're going to enjoy what you do, they're not going to join you in the beginning. But anyone that's going to be offended by what you do is going to attack you. That's why it's very hard to do things. Maybe, and I know that, I don't think that it's good that that's a reality. It's maybe. That's hard to do new things. Because it's good that it's hard to do new things. You know what? New things happening all the time. There's something in there that if you want new things to happen, now the question is can you make? But once you have something going, then it's easier to expand. It's hard to do yish mehaim, but it's easier to do yish miyish. Okay, this, it's very hard, like once you don't have something to create, like, like to persuade people to do something that they didn't plan to do, that they didn't even know that they wanted to do, 
very, very hard. Once you have six people doing something, whether it's something that exists, now you're asking people to join something that exists. That's a much easier ask. If you do have a tendency to believe that something exists already, there's a reason that it exists. They exist already, well, it's an option for me. That's already an option. I have someone to imitate. There's someone I can imitate. And once the group that you're imitating is a critical mass, well, here's, I think, the definition of critical mass is. The definition of critical mass is that the reason why you're going somewhere and doing something is because that everybody is doing that something. Meaning, everybody becomes the reason that everybody is doing it. The number becomes the reason of it, itself. That's what something like um, YouTube goes viral. Like you see something has two million hits, you want to hit it just because that's two million hits. So the number itself becomes the reason for the number increasing. That's critical. That's okay. so creating. So the, the, the first thing I want to say creating a sense of growth leads to growth. Now, before it's very hard to start growth, but creating a sense of growth, radiating growth, creates growth. A second thing I know from the history of uh, this is where I think graphics is a second thing, is that um, what's the real source of information about who's powerful and who isn't? And I think the real source of information about who is as an organization is not like, someone like me or someone that comes out. Like the great, the most information about the organization exists within the organization. Meaning, healthy organizations naturally are learning from the organization as the organization does. Meaning, the information is over here, the artist has to find it. Now, and I'll display how we did it in Infra. We have, after every program in Infra, we have two days that we invest in researching everything that we did, and we ask very simple questions. One question is what went wrong. The second question is what did we do well. And then we always have one thing that we do different next time. That, that one thing is the following. This is how simple. It's very, very simple. The thing that we did that we did wrong, let's not do it again. <laughs> and the thing that went very well, let's do more of that. And every four months, we stop and say, okay, what went wrong? We try to ask, how to find out what went wrong? You investigate that's where the information is. What went wrong? What's the ingredient that made this less good? And so let's, now, by the way, you don't always get it right. Somebody say, okay, next time we don't do it again, and we don't do it, and still we're wrong, because that's not the ingredients. So it's trial and error, finding out what we're wrong. But, uh, but that's, I think, where the information is, because it's not even, I mean, every time I go to the airport, so I see there's more books about this issue, right? Every time books, like how to build a perfect business, how to build a organization, the perfect personality, the perfect marriage, the perfect, and it's my opinion, that these books are always defaulting, is trying by force of in, I don't know if you say right in English, induction, inductive. Like, I have my own story of success, and I'm turning that into an abstract principle, and asking you now to apply that principle onto you. Now it's possible that the only organization this principle works on is my organization. And what makes my marriage works, probably will screw up your marriage. What makes my marriage work? Well, probably screw up. Meaning, the only 
organization has its character, its special nature, there's certain things that work for them. That's why I don't believe in abstractions. That's why the real source of information for your organization is in any organization. That's why I think that there's no real shortcuts. The only way to really learn how to do your organization better is to learn your organization what works. Now, it's a fact, what works? Because what worked for a problem for years, that was Senegal or the Obama campaign, every time to imitate the Obama campaign. I just, uh, what works is it might screw things up for you. I, I think characters are so unique and so individual, it's almost impossible to learn from one onto the other. We think things should be very, very careful that we sell about the move of induction, saying what works for me is, is an implication of a universal principle, or universalizing, or like you can use it in any organization possible. I don't believe in those books so much. I don't believe in those books. I believe, but, but I do believe that a culture, that they can create a culture where it constantly learns from itself, through trial and error, and then grows and expands. And finally, there's something after saying all that that happened in Prague, and I think it's universal. <laughs> I think it's universal. It's the following thing. And in Prague, we have uh, 23 full time staff members and four after, let's say 25 uh, staff members full time. We invest a lot in the level of staff and board, the safety of staff. Of having a good, a good time together. The following is we invest a lot in group dynamics within the staff. We invest a lot of purely mashallah, not with any staff, mashallah with bad mouthing, in the following sense. It's my belief that when people don't feel that challenge of communication or blocks, so mashallah, so bad mouthing begins. Because I don't feel comfortable saying what I think about you, I'm going to have to stay inside. I'm going to say that to the person sitting next to me, and mashallah contaminates and a uh, climate of our organization. So if you can create a climate that enables people to say out loud what they think about each other in a safe environment, that feels much more that feels bad about me, that creates a healthy, a healthier environment. What we invest a lot in impact is on building different relationships and cultivating relationships within the organization. We go with things on staff, we're staying outside, and we play, and we read, and we invest so much and a belief. I know I still get angry magic, but this is magic. <laughs> I don't have I don't know why. But when there's good communication between all the staff members and like being each other, all the members of the crowd, all the lectures, all the students, all the donors, everyone for some reason want to be here. This is a magic trick. And I'm not obviously and I still believe it's a magic trick. <laughs> that building strong for some reason when, when the core people that are holding on to the organization, when they just like hanging out with each other, when they understand each other, when they admire each other for their different qualities, for their diverse qualities, that itself, for some reason, even if no one knows you're doing it, that itself, everyone starts getting along with each other and rooting for you and wanting, and wanting to, be, to, get, to participate in your success. So those are like the three main things I want to think that ever since you challenged me, the challenge Rabbi West, I was thinking about. One is that um, creating a, a 
sense of growth creates wealth, a second, creating a culture that most of the information that helps you grow comes from your own organization, and that's very hard to do. It's almost like you go hunting. You're hunting for knowledge. What's a critical piece of knowledge? Is it doing Musaf differently? Like, what is it? Everybody wearing hats in Shabbat, I don't know, what is it? What is that knowledge? What is it? And the knowledge only exists, hiding, but it exists within your religion. I think that's the picture, I think something outside. It's like a shortcut for not looking for the hidden information down within your religion. And the third thing is investing, not like, you know, there's always the temptation in investing in relationship, excuse the metaphor, with our customers. That's the investing relationship with our customers. I don't want the customer to go on a wedding or, or, or potential new members with the customers. And I always think that the better place to invest your energy in your relationship is right here, is with the owners. This is, and for some reason, this doesn't come on, ex, on the expense of the so called customers. For some reason, that is what is going to build the magic for the customer. Because, I mean, it's not, I know it's magic, but it's not explainable, but I just want to explain for one minute. When a group has fun with each other, and they laugh at each other's jokes, and they enjoy each other's, each other's presence, you don't want to be part of that group. You want to have what you're having. And if you're having Musaf, so that's what works. This is where this is where you're supposed to have fun. It's not about entertaining your customers. It's about having fun, entertaining yourself, having fun as a group. And that radiates powerfully. That's what people would like would like to join, if that's your goal. Would like, would like to join, join. So, I'll have some Musa. So, we have time for a few questions. So if any folks have questions about Nitha's uh, lecture, uh, and uh, with them, Sue, she wrote some.
So I would say, if I were to think of the change ideology to attract young people, and young people have all kinds of ideologies I know nothing about, confusion, because that's the language of the use. The use of language of belief that are not the loyal. The using of language where I don't accept that ideology because of some reason. In order to disguise, in order to disguise for myself that I do not belong to that group of people. Then people want to come in, they want to be not because they believe in the ideas, but they just want to belong to your group and then internalize your ideas. I think investing in the group, in the community, is the best way to cultivate belief in ideas of the person or whatever one is. And you'll always have people that ideas hide. I, I think I think it's very not the age of opposition or extremely modern. They have a set of ideas that's made you blind. They believe that there's these great ideas, and if the person doesn't believe in my ideas, I don't like that person. I don't want to be affiliated with that person. Well, that's, I think, very, I think Judaism was always about belonging before believing. It's always about, I want to be with you and together we can get what we want together, not the other way around. And in that sense, and, and, and um, Here, you want to see something about, about America's pro-life, and that uh, if you don't like someone, you want to be with someone because of what he believes in, that's sometimes where America's doing, doing the campaign and the election. That's not a healthy America. That's letting ideas come before people. And I think Judaism was always and is always people before, people before ideas. And here, and I know this is, and here, um, there's, I'll say something extreme I don't believe in. Sometimes you need an idea, a great idea, just out of an excuse to spend time with each other. Okay, I mean, preferably just to be with each other. And I want to say one more thing on this point, and I want to touch on this. Our relationship between human beings is becoming so instrumental in modern relationships, right? So instrumental. When I say instrumental, I mean I want to, I want to achieve something with you. If you're my boss, I want to impress you. If you're working for me, I want to do things for me, be a competitor. I like, in other words, a CEO, not CEO, same social knowledge I want to achieve through you. So it's not about you. It's not really with you. In a community, in a safe place where I just got to be together. And if anybody asks, for what? That ruins all things because that's all point. It's a purpose, I don't know if it's right in English, it's a purpose for itself. It's a purpose for itself. And it frees us from that sameness of life society. That we see each other as objects. That the fact that we, we have instrumental, that we, we are using as an instrument to, to achieve something that's different than us. So a community is a very strong need for modern people that lost the sense, that lost the, the joy of just being with each other. And uh, I think and, and because as a community we're answering and need is only growing, there's no reason the community to really flourish. But this is really that's a real need, it's a real it's something out there that is filling in people's lives. Thank you. So Mick, I wanted to say to you, uh, by way of response, I just three points. Um, that the three things that you talked about, uh, this is more magic, are so really continuous with the kind of work we were doing. First of all, we've been stuck for 100 years at 1125, 1125 family units. We've been 1125 for 
five or six years. And just all of a sudden, last year and this year, we're now at 1178. Uh, we went from 1125 to 1178. Mm -hmm. And it's part of, so, and there's something mysterious about it. Um, but it's something we've been working on, and then all of a sudden, the growth helps promote more growth, right? So that's the critical mass. So mm -hmm. Second thing, this whole concept is also, you talked about the, the post-mortem that you would do uh, after any class session, what worked, and what, what worked and what did not work. And uh, this whole lead thing that you're speaking at is about helping us step back from the day-to-day -day work of the synagogue, which is always intense, like the minute this is over, this whole thing is going to be turned aside or away, which is happening now, right? Like, if you walk down the hall, you'll see the, the halas chair and where the, where the mothers are sitting. And there's another wedding, you know, that, that uh, at the same time for another time, that was three or four yesterday, right? So there's always so much busy, 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 the next wedding, the next permits, the next funeral. Already before I picked you up, after you went for your run, we have the funeral at 10.30, so there's always this on, on Tuesday, but intense, intense, intense. And this whole structure of lead helps all of us step back from that very important, urgent day-to-day -day and ask the question, what worked? What should we do more of? What didn't work? What should we do less of? And then the third thing about the magic trick of chemistry, uh, that's what this is all about. Learning together, growing together, having hopping bagels together, doing kombucha together, and building together a community that tries to grow ever stronger to change the lives of our members. So thank you for your time.